the modern cast recording of Les Mis, and then of course it came across the pond and opened here on Broadway, giving a lot of work to a lot of other people. <laughs> I never got to be in Les Mis, but I, I did wear out that, that LP, let me tell you, and those iconic performances by, among other people, right at the top of the list, somebody who just stood on this stage and sang, as I understand it, not too long ago. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios, this week on Broadway for Sunday, January 10th, 2021. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine. Peter, I just got my first Encore Magazine in the oh, mail good. this week. Yeah, yes. look good. The, yeah. In- the inauguration issue. Yes, Bernadette on the cover. Indeed. <laughs> yes, with a big face shield in Times Square, I think that was. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? Mm. Yeah, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, folks who want to get Encore Magazine, it is it is printed and hitting the shelves now. So uh, we have a link in the show notes for Encore Magazine right in Peter's bio. So click on over there and get your copy of Encore as well. It's uh, I, I I tell you, it is uh, full of editorial. It is just like no, I I don't see any hundred word hit hit jobs in that thing. There's lots of long pieces in there. It's yeah. really great, beautiful photography. Congratulations Good. on the launch. Good. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. And Michael, you have almost a century birthday. Not you, but you want to wish somebody, <laughs> you want to wish somebody a century birthday or almost a century birthday. So who is that? Yes, John Schmidt, who I've spoken about on the podcast before. I in 2017, I was lucky enough to attend the uh, City Center production of Brigadoon, uh, starring Kelly O'Hara and Patrick oh, Wilson, etc. Yeah, Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Um, with John, who was in the original Broadway cast of the show. Wow. He just turned 99 on Friday. And I uh, got to speak with him on the phone. He lives in Columbus, Ohio now. But he did come to the city for that Brigadoon. And that was, his, I, I believe, his first time in the city in a 55 years mm. or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. Um, I'm looking at his credits on uh, IBDB. His first show was Polonaise in 19... 19- uh. 45, (laughs) (laughs) in which he played Captain Adams and was also a male singer. Uh, Then he was in Brigadoon in 1947 as a singer. Uh, It's not credited here, but he told me he was also a stage manager or assistant stage manager for that show. So he knew it really well, and he was very, very heavily involved on two levels. Uh, Then in 1950, John was in Out of This World, Mm. Uh, in the chorus. And then his last Broadway show was in 1951, Paint Your Wagon. Um, Billed as, uh, let's see, assistant stage manager, performer, uh, singer, understudy for the role of Mike Mooney, and and assistant choral director. Mm. Hmm. 
so oh, did a good job because those yeah. Are those, yeah you listen yeah. to that album that's really effective yes the choruses are quite beautiful mm-hmm. in that show mm-hmm. and uh to see that production of brigadoon with john sitting next to me was an experience i'll never forget it uh, uh, a few places i would hear him singing along softly sure, sure. under his breath and i just really brought tears to my eyes and then we went backstage i uh, had alerted um the press rep and we got to go backstage and met the entire cast and the director christopher wilden uh and everyone was so 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 nice to john and they they were all thrilled to meet him especially patrick wilson he said he who went up to him and said something like um oh yeah i forgot to mention that uh john was also an understudy for the lead for the lead in brigadoon and then i think maybe did it on tour so he actually played tommy uh tommy albright on wow. and so uh patrick wilson came up to him and said hi i'm tommy you're tommy <laughs> <laughs> and they had a really, really wonderful chat. It was it was an unbelievable uh, evening. And and I was just thinking that looking back, that production I would have to say is one of the best productions I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm. And the interesting about that thing about that is that I wouldn't even say it's one of my all time absolute favorite shows, mm. but it was so beautifully done. The cast was perfect. Uh, perfection. Uh, the choreography, the staging, the music, the handling of the music, uh, every single aspect of it was absolutely incredible. And And the audience was with it every single moment and i i really 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 will never forget it it would have been unforgettable under any circumstances but for me to experience it sitting next to someone who was in the original production Mm -hmm. was just beyond beyond (laughs) something you only hear once in a hundred years yep Mm -hmm. Yep. Also with us is a very special guest. Christine Petty is with us. Christine is known as the Lady of a Thousand Voices, also known as a living Hirschfeld. She is the host of Sirius XM Radio's On Broadway on Channel 72. Also, Broadway fans know her from shows like Musicals, Spamilton, Chicago, Forbidden Broadway, and uh, many, many other very, very funny uh, videos that we can see on YouTube and all around the internet. Christine, thank you for getting up on a Sunday morning and joining us. Oh, I'm having my last martini, darling. <laughs> the last. <laughs> well, you know, you can't go out and have one, so who's watching, you know? <laughs> Swear to God. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I, I just want to say, uh, Michael, the way you pronounced it's polonaise, right? I believe so. Yeah, I thought you said polonaise, and I thought, what a great drag queen name. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go uh, register polonaise.com right back. Uh, that's a great one, Christine. Yes, exactly. Uh, James, I'm not sure I'm familiar with this living Hirschfeld thing, so maybe we can start with that. Oh, that was my producer of musical. He just threw that into some press thing once, and I just, or I can't remember, what, but he said it, and I loved it. I just thought it was such a flattering thing to say, and I thought, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of what impressionists do. It's the essence. The mm. it's those. 
moments, uh, those isms and those uh, those particular, ex, uh, you know, the eccentricities or those moments of magic or those things they know how to emphasize. Uh, I mean, well, a caricaturist knows how to do that. And I think a, a good impressionist does as well, because it's not always necessarily a dead on sound alike. It's something right. else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just getting, sometimes it's just getting one particular gesture or, or look or quirky vocal ism and um for for me because i do it when i heard that comparison not that anybody could ever attain the you know the heights of achievement that hirschfeld did in his field that i, I you know anybody could in their field but um i was i i just loved the i just loved the term and i was very flattered by it did you start um, as a child doing impressions? Uh, do you recall doing one like when you were eight years old and somebody said, wow, that's a great Sophie Tucker or whatever? <laughs> no. How the hell old do you think I am? Jeez. <laughs> um, There's that lie. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no, well, but you should have seen my Lillian Gish. There we are. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, no, I did. I, I just did accents and relatives um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, I remember once, so I guess this would have been in the seventies. I don't know why I did it either, but I was on the phone with my cousin and I started singing the way we were, um, uh-huh. just as a joke. And she put my aunt on the phone and they were saying how good it was. Uh-huh. Oh, they're crazy. I wasn't singing it seriously either. You know, I mean, I was just sort of singing it to, um, give them a sense of what it sounded like to me when Barbara Streisand sang it, just how funny it was. Not funny, but, no. you know, what Barbara sounded like. Mm-hmm. I am I am fighting a sneeze, so get ready, you guys. Okay. Ever since this shutdown started, my, my allergies are awful because I think being homebound as much as I am, I'm just, I, I, I have an allerg- allergic reaction to dust. Yeah, uh, uh, and, uh, and to dusting, so um, <laughs> I, I wake up every morning just in this in this Miss Adelaide state. But anyway, moving right along, I remember watching like Marilyn Michaels growing up, uh, thinking it was amazing, but never ever 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 attempting it, and um, just just never attempting it. Well, when Gerard and I, uh, Gerard Alessandrini and I wrote a book on Forbidden Broadway some years ago, Christine contributed. And I believe you said in that that your first audition for Forbidden Broadway, when they asked you if you did any impressions, was it your aunt that you did? My grandmother, my Italian grandmother. Oh. <laughs> Josefina, Josefina Petty. Oh, thanks again. You got a tippity garbage man. Always a tippity garbage man. Thanks to God, I live two blocks from a church. Yeah. <laughs> My, my it, grandmother was, was that your me. Sopranos uh, audition? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, you but, were on the show, right? Yeah, I, uh, it didn't have to get that uh, <laughs> uh, quite that close to the uh, to the uh, uh, the Ellis Island end of the the, <laughs> the family, but um, uh, I, you know. So I did my grandmother, and then they asked if you could do Carol Channing, and I said, "Well, anybody can do Carol. Everybody, not anybody, everybody can." Yes, do Yes, that Channing. is true. Nobody ever quotes her without uh, using. Uh, well, exactly, and yeah. I had happened to have met her, which was quite an achievement. At that, I mean, look, I wasn't that young, but I but I was young in my career because I started late, hmm. and um, 
I had volunteered at that event at Avery Fisher Hall. It was a tribute to Julie Stein. I don't know how old he was. Uh, maybe uh, I'm going to guess maybe it was in the 80s, so do the math. He, he, he had some significant birthday, I think. Uh-huh. So it's not and, 75. I think he was born in 05, I think. Anyway, uh, go on. Uh, it would be later than 1980, though, I think. Okay. I, I right. could be. I, yeah, I'm sure right, it was later whatever. than 1980. Right. So March I, 2nd, 1987. I used, okay. Is that so, right? Yeah. I, that makes sense. And so back then I would just, and remember this was before the internet. So in order to find the name of a press agent from all you had, which was an article in the Sunday, an ad in the Sunday times, uh, I would call the box office. I would call who, I mean, it, it, it took, it took a lot. <laughs> you kids today. That's um, right. <laughs> get to get, to the point where I found the person who was accepting volunteers. Now, nobody really volunteers for these things, having done a bajillion of them now. Um, I realize now how, uh, what kind of initiative I was showing. Mm -hmm. And I volunteered and I greeted people. uh, And I just heard that was my first um, exposure to looking Cheetah Rivera in the face and I carried Liza Minnelli's pants <laughs> into her dressing room. And there's the title I for your autobiography. Said, <laughs> I said, you know, Stephen Sondheim was sitting quietly in a corner and I took Comden and green up to the dressing rooms. And, uh, he said, Oh, it's this way. I said, Oh, you know, the way around. He says, Oh, I know the maestro very well. I've spent many, you know, many, many uh, nights here. <laughs> and then Dolores Gray was there and she was sharing a dressing room with, um, with Carol Channing. And I, I don't know why, but I was in the dressing room doing something and Carol Chan, or I was taking her to the dressing room and Carol Channing asked me a question and she said, and what is your name? And I said, oh, Christine. And she went, well, thank you, Christine. <laughs> and I just about died. I'd, I'd, I'd reached a point in my life, not my career, because I didn't have one at the time. <laughs> like Carol Channing said my name. And, and she was lovely. And mm-hmm. she cared about what my name was. And mm-hmm. I remember, I think I saw Dolores Gray in her girdle, I think. Um, <laughs> who else performed? I re- oh, when did... When did? Uh, no, when did when did Fred Ebb die? Two thousand four. Okay, so I'm confusing. That I remember. I that was shortly after that. I think I did uh, another event at Avery Fisher Hall, the first time backstage since that '87 event. Mm-hmm. Only this time I was alone on the stage doing a big solo mm. between, as they said to me, you're you go on after Jerry Orbach, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I had a lot to concentrate on because I was doing a, a whole mashup of all the divas that couldn't be there that night to um. celebrate. And so I had a lot of lyrics to concentrate on and, and Robert Morse was following me. All right. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I remember being in the stairwell and Cheetah was there and I had met her at that point, And I just remember somebody mentioning Fred Ebb passing and and they were just chatting and she said, yeah, you know, I think I might be in denial. And I just mm-hmm. remember her saying those words in the hallway at Avery Fisher Hall. 
uh, and and after I did my number, it's funny because I did the number at rehearsal and it was long because it was a big mashup of all these different moments uh, in musical theater history that I said so many women couldn't be here tonight and they uh-huh. wanted to be here. It was, a, it was called Showstoppers and it was everybody from Broadway recreating their big showstopper. Except, of course, me. And uh, <laughs> I said so many women wanted to be here, like Patti LuPone and Angela Lansbury, Bernadette Peters, and they couldn't. But you know what's funny? Not, none of them wanted to sing their own showstopper. They wanted to sing somebody ah. else's. And so Bernadette Peters was singing, um, These are probably the worst pies in London. <laughs> Mostly not, but nothing more. You know, they're not just... And... Um, uh, Angela Lansbury, what the heck did she sing? Oh, whatever happened to fair dealing? You know, now every son of a bitch is a snake in the grass. So we did this really funny mashup, and it was long. Um, and I went to the wings, and uh, Robert Robert Morse said I hadn't really chatted with him, but he's like, it was good. He said it was long. It was long. It was good. You know? And I thought, okay. So I, 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 so we decided to cut some stuff, me and the MD. And um, then I did it for the audience, which included my mother mm-hmm. and father. Mm-hmm. My mother, who <laughs> said, you know, Christine, I mean, you had Cheetah Rivera and you had... <laughs> Jerry Orbach, and you had Les Mis, and you had Andrea McArdle, and then I thought, what the hell is Christine doing here? What the hell is she going to do? Like She was utterly and completely confused as to what I could possibly be doing on that stage, as was I. So anyway, I did the number, and it, it was a real triumph, okay? It was a real triumph. And I went back to the dressing room, which was probably on the same floor and right next door to where Carol Channing's dressing room was, and I go and a dressing room I shared with Melissa Errico, Andrew McCardle, Carol Lawrence, and Cheetah Rivera. Mm. And I walked in. <laughs> Can we curse on this podcast? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Andrew McCardle, who I'm not going to out, I don't think, if I say she went, You were fucking unbelievable. You were fucking unbelievable. Oh my God. We were shitting ourselves. <laughs> And I'm looking at her and she's very easy. Like she's, she's a no nonsense. She's a regular girl, Andrea. And so it didn't, I didn't, I didn't think to myself, this is so odd. Laura Fernandi is saying this to me. No, it seemed very organic and right for her to say it. Um, But then she does like, Oh my God, you were unbelievable. You know, she comes up to me and I, it was such an amazing it, it was a while before I actually realized that that was only the second time I'd been in that building. Mm. And what a, cha- what a change, mm. you know? All right. But you were saying that um, you were doing something else before you started doing this professionally. So what, what type of job did you have when you weren't uh, in show business? I graduated with the Fordham University with a degree in communications, and I had spent the four years there actively 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 involved in the college radio station which is a fine radio station uh, a 50,000 watt station which means it's the strongest allotted power you're allowed to have uh any radio station in the country is a strong that's the strongest so it's it's a powerful good station wow. all student run when i went there all student run mm-hmm. Pro- 
classical program director, rock program director, uh, the news department, the sports department, everything. 24-hour station, commercial free. How wonderful. And it was wonderful. It was the stuff that they make movies and sitcoms about. Mm -hmm. It was reeked with character. And Michael Kay, uh, the voice of the Yankees, they tell me. I don't follow Mm -hmm. sports, but Michael Kay was there. Uh, Mike Breen, who was on the Imus show for years, doing the sports on the Imus show. Um, Any number of producers of morning news, network news, a uh, couple of network anchors, um, uh, the lo- local network anchors, I know for sure. Just incredible. So I became the arts editor. And that's when I discovered uh, that you could get, I'll never, be, I'll never forget it. I was on the telephone with a press agent uh, about maybe doing an interview. She said, well, let me, when, when do you want to see the show? And I said, what? Yeah. <laughs> to the show. And I was a teenager, remember? And yeah. like, oh, 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 okay. And that's when I discovered they let you see the shows for free. Mm-hmm. Most of them. And what's very interesting to you gentlemen of the press, I was a teenager, remember? But I was at a New York station, but I was still a teenager in college. And I, I kind of think I remember the really nasty guys. Mm-hmm. but I remember the really nice ones. Mm-hmm. And the one that was the nicest was brand new. His name was Adrian Brian Brown. Ah. And he was always lovely to me on the phone, and I never got nervous calling him up and asking and inquiring. Mm-hmm. But there were others mm-hmm. that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you you might have been around at that time, Peter. I don't know, but... Um, how old do you think I am? <laughs> well, anyway. I don't know, but I ain't, I ain't telling you how old I am, so... Uh, you know, uh, so, but, but I don't think, you know, uh, the the point is, and it, maybe it was because it's so interesting. Maybe it was because everything was done on the phone mm-hmm. and you couldn't multitask. I, I don't know, but if someone was nasty, it sure was easier to, to, to discover it mm-hmm. because their tone was in, you know, unmistakable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I started seeing shows, but then a, a lot of shows. And I would take the van from Fordham University in the Bronx, the Ram van, because the Fordham Rams were the yeah, mascot, yeah, yeah. to the to the campus by Lincoln Center. And then I would walk to the theater. And then I'd race back to get the, if I was lucky, the uh, 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 10.30 or the 11 o'clock van back to the Bronx. And, and then I graduated and I, I, I tempt because I just assumed I would get a job I didn't know in what. I attempt mm-hmm. a lot, and I did a lot of community theater, very good community theater. And then I got a temp job at the March of Dimes, and they had a telethon. And I thought, maybe I should work for the telethon department. That's more in keeping with my mm-hmm. major. And I worked for the telethon department, so that was my first full-time job that wasn't temping. And it was in television, and I, and I worked for a charming gentleman who reminded me of Edward Everett Horton. Ah. <laughs> he was such a delightful man. But I knew from day one that I, I, I hated a nine-to-five life, and I knew I was bored to death, and I, I wanted out, but I, I didn't have the guts to quit. And I knew if you stayed a year, you got dental insurance. Uh, and I had to have a wisdom tooth pulled. <laughs> so I, uh, I, um, I had to have a lot of wisdom teeth pulled, actually. 
And so I waited a year. I had to have four, actually, four wisdom teeth pulled. Wow. That was expensive. Sure. So I waited a year, and I had all four wisdom teeth pulled on the same day, thinking I'd quit oh the next God. day. Yeah, I, thinking I'd quit the next day, and it <laughs> took me another year to quit. Wow. But after I quit, that was it. And I didn't know anybody in the business, P.S. The only person I knew was John Tracy Egan, who was Che mm-hmm. in Evita mm-hmm. at the Chappaqua Drama Group. Uh, he dyed his hair black. <laughs> I'll never forget the day he came into. Re- <laughs> never forget the day he came. He was a you know blazing redhead. Uh-huh. The day he came into rehearsal with this, <laughs> it's too funny. Uh, and you know we're still dear friends. I love him so much. And he was the only person I knew. But then he went off to Zurich to do Cats, and so I was just bumping around trying to figure out how the hell to do this. I didn't major in it. I didn't. All right. All right. But um, here you are mentioning Adrian Brian Brown and the call and you don't know how it works and all that. Did you have an interest in Broadway when you were growing up? Um, I didn't even know what it was, really. Uh Uh, We we Uh had we had one cast recording. It was the most happy fella. And I loved it. We had about five records in our house. Do you know why um, the most happy fella was one of them? Did your parents? uh, Because my mother. Uh, my father did see that. My father loved the theater when he was a young man, but then uh-huh. once he got married, he never sure. went anymore. Sure, sure. And um, uh, I think he took, uh, he might have taken, I think my mother was too young. He might have taken a date to uh-huh. see it, and the date didn't like it. Uh-huh. He couldn't go out with her again. <laughs> it, was, it was either that or the boyfriend, because he loved the boyfriend too. Um, and I think it, uh, my mother was given a Grundig, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Victrola, as they called it, but it's a it's a piece of a cabinetry. It was a radio and a yeah. and a record player, and we just I put it in my storage space for twenty years, and I finally moved storage spaces. And this year, the one of the last things I did before the pandemic was bring it to a place to be re refurbished, mm. uh, uh, refurbished <laughs> and fixed. Yeah. And then I picked it up about two months ago, and it, we found some of the original records that were in our house. One of them was Andre Previn. At the time, it was Muzak. We thought it was Muzak, but we play it now, <laughs> and it's freaking gorgeous. And coming out of that machine, it's it's warm mm. and it's mm. it's. It's delightful, but most happy fellow we had, and it was a single record. That was my it, next question. Yeah, yeah, it was the single. So imagine my delight when I discovered there was a, you know, there was more. Yeah. Um, but that's all I really knew about. And then when I was in high school, I went to see some uh, musicals. I mean, I knew musicals from the movies, but I didn't really understand Broadway. I had a friend whose father or uncle put money into. Um, Music is. Uh-huh. What, was, what was music is? It was a musical version of Twelfth Night. Richard Adler wrote it. Okay. And I was invited to the opening night of it with this friend, which I was so excited about. And Richard Rogers was going to be there. Uh-huh. I don't know why. I thought I thought it was a Richard Rogers. Uh-huh. <laughs> was he a producer or something, maybe? No, I think uh, he was just there. Well... Anyway, go on. Uh, but my mother said, you know, I she felt very awkward because this was a very, very fancy evening and she didn't know how we could in any way reciprocate. Uh-huh. Because, you know, we just didn't have friends who would take your kids out to dinner or fancy places. And 
she really didn't think I should accept the invitation, so I didn't. Really? No, you didn't go? I didn't go. Oh. oh. We'd like to welcome ExpressVPN back to Broadway Radio. There are tons of VPN providers out there. You've probably heard of a couple of them, and some of you might even have used a VPN before. But I like to do research on my sponsors, and I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in. I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Second is speed. I've tried lots of VPNs in the past. Many slow your connection down or make your device sluggish. I've been using ExpressVPN for a few years now, and my internet speeds are blazing fast. Even when I connect to servers thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality videos with zero lag. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from other VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything. You just fire up the app and one-click button to connect. It's so easy that your grandparents could use it. And it's not just me saying this. Wired, The Verge, CNET, and many other tech experts rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and I trust. Use our link, expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio today, and get an extra three months free on your one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio. Visit expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio to learn more. And thanks to ExpressVPN for continuing to support Broadway Radio. But Christine, you haven't mentioned um, you had you had a relative in the business. Well, I didn't meet him until I was at the March of Dimes on that telethon. His name was Tom Petty, same spelling as my name, P E D I, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and uh, we had always heard about him because mm-hmm. he would send us a Christmas card. But he was like my grandmother's first cousin, and he moved to Los Angeles. Uh, probably before I was born, maybe, or shortly after that. And so we never saw each other. He was, and he was a part of the Long Island branch of the family that we never saw, like second cousins, third cousins that, you mm. know, we just never connected with for no reason other than the fact that they lived on Long Island. It was, you know, so um, I, what, he would always send a sweet card, which had some kind of a silly picture because he was in the original... <coughs> he was in the original Death of a Salesman as the waiter. He was in the original Iceman Cometh, which was pretty profound. Uh, mm-hmm. He did all the movies. He did the play. He did the... He did the... Uh, Jason Robards. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, Sidney Lumet. Was it Sidney Lumet? I don't know that. It? I don't know uh, that. And then he did the, was it Frankenheimer who directed the? Uh, the one that was done for the American Film Institute? Yes, with, with uh-huh. Lee Marvin. Marvin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating because the black and white one that was done, I think yeah. maybe live with, with, maybe live, I don't know, but it was black and white on early mm-hmm. TV yeah. with Jason Robards. The young man in it was rich, uh, was uh, Robert Redford. Ah. Uh. Right. And the, right. I'm pretty sure it was Frankenheimer, but don't, it wouldn't be Zinnemann. It was Frankenheimer, I think. But anyway, in the, the other one, which was more of a major motion picture release, but it was originally released for select American Express people. Was that how it worked? 
No, it was it was a very strange thing. Um, they had a subscription series, and they only showed them for two days, and that was the end of it. Two days. Jesus, wow! I know it was it was such a bizarre business model. But, but it was a profound. It was who was the uh, was it Frederick March who played the. Um, Frederick March was in it. Yes, indeed, he was. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, just to see Frederick March, who you see in all these, yeah, movies you know, way back when, crisp, clipped black and white films sure. and stuff. Yeah. Even even in even in honestly, even in um, the uh, the Judy Garland, um, A Star Is Born, mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't even come close to the darkness and the the griminess and the mm. the depth of sorrow that you get from that from that Iceman Cometh. And the young boy was Jeff Bridges. Mm. Um, so Tom was in that. Tom was Harry the Horse and Guys and Dolls. Mm-hmm. The original uh, Harry the Horse. He's got, yeah. I just looked him up. If you look him up, folks, you'll immediately recognize his face. Absolutely. And, yeah, and then, and then he was blacklisted. He was famously blacklisted. And uh, that's how uh, I knew, that's what I knew most about him. Uh, uh, and so when I, when I worked on the telethon for the March of Dimes, they, their, theme was or their holiday weekend was the 4th of July weekend and um, uh, we went out to LA maybe for four weeks or five weeks prior and I looked him up (laughs) he was living do you remember that movie Angelo My Love it was directed or financed by Robert Duvall about gypsies please excuse the term but that's what they call themselves Um, well he was living with like the head of the gypsy clan. Uh-huh. His roommate was this guy. I, I recognized him immediately. And uh, he was living in a, you know, a dumpy apartment uh, south of Sunset and Cahuenga. Um And I, I remember driving down the street. I was a little early and I see this guy in a plaid pants and a plaid jacket. D- didn't match. Totally <laughs> different plaids. And a hat. Always had a hat. And I pulled over and I said, Tom, and he was like, you're my cousin, Christine. And he had a very high, uh. his voice had some, you know, he, he was so delightful and it was love at first sight. And I visited him every time I was there. And then we started taking trips to London. When he would come to New York, he would then look me up and his, his uh, niece, Maria, and I became and are the, the dearest and closest of friends. Um, total sidebar she married john pizzarelli who i was you know a a big Mm. fan of so um our worlds combined in that respect as well because we both love jazz and love cabaret and stuff and anyway um tom was blacklisted in the 50s and it was it was terrible and if you go to my website there's a blacklist um really yeah i saw that on your website and it has uh, something that it took a while to get but she finally found it his fbi it's it's chilling to read it because you see everything that's what's the term redacted. Is that Mm -hmm. the term? You see all the stuff that's blacked out and you see all the people that uh, pointed fingers at him. Essentially one of the big un-American talk about freaking sedition. Talk about you want to vomit after the week we've had. Mm -hmm. All right. When this man was uh, accused of being un-American and his livelihood was taken away from him in a completely illegal way because he went to a Paul Robeson concert. That was it? It was it was cited over and over again on his FBI file. Um, He was also there's also the article written by Ed Sullivan 
because Tom, and I thought this Ed, this article was going to be inflammatory about Tom and call him a pinko and a commie and stuff like that. It was actually a little more, um, had a little more of a narrative to it than I expected. He marched in some Labor Day, May Day parade, some parade for the worker. I can't remember what it was. And B.S. Pulley heard about it. Mm-hmm. B.S. Pulley played uh, Big Julie. Julie yeah. And B.S. Pulley shared a dressing room with Tom, which I didn't know till I read the article. And uh, he got so angry that Tom was a commie that he, he it makes no sense. He went backstage and he cut up Tom's costumes. <gasps> what what does that do? Uh, just like, you know, storming the Capitol. Does this yeah. does this ring a bell, this behavior? Uh-huh. All right. It gets what done? What what did he accomplish? Okay. Now who was it? It was Merle Debusky, mm-hmm. famed press agent who has a yeah. wonderful book called Mr. Uh, Mr. Press uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Press Agent I think it's called. Anyway his name's Merle Debusky and he was one of the press agents when I was in college. He was at Tom's Memorial and he came up to me and he was the press agent on Guys and Dolls or he was a part of the team and he said yeah. somebody came, Ernie Martin and Cy Fuhrer were the producers, Fuhrer and Martin mm-hmm. very famous producers and mm-hmm. very famously I found out after the fact uh uh, liberal thinking and and uh, uh, um, fair-minded people, mm-hmm. uh, they were told by whomever, stage management, what, what B.S. Pulley did because Tom was in this parade and what should we do? And they just said, well, we have to get him new costumes. Mm-hmm. And that was that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I remember uh, going to Cy Fuhrer's memorial when I heard that, and, and, and I, I just loved it because I, I found out you guys knew this, but I'm sure you didn't. I didn't. But that's when they when when um, uh, Silk Stockings opened in Boston, was it? Mm-hmm. They yeah. uh, were invited to a posh hoity-toity Bostonian opening night party, but it said something to the effect of "Coloreds need not attend." Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And Cy Fuhrer basically posted anybody who goes to that party is fired. Mm-hmm. In he, fact, was yeah. B.S. Pulley fired? I mean, one would think he would No, be. he wasn't fired. And in the article, it says that they shared a dressing room and B.S. Pulley is, is quoted. And when you listen to his stupid, stupid quotes, all right, acting's easy. He's lucky he has this job. It, it, there ain't nothing to acting. Something to that effect. Um, all right. That uh, it... it, it the level of his stupidity and his density and his mm-hmm. his inability to uh, process basic human feelings, uh, and Tom basically BS Pulley, uh, you know, um, just chewed Tom out, and Tom basically said, "Are you finished?" And he left, and apparently never went back to the dressing room. I was just thinking about that the other day because you think he loved Guys and Dolls so much. Mm-hmm. He went on to do it in London. And, and I see that he did it in 65 at, I guess that must have been City, City Center. Center. Was, that, was that the one with Anita Gillette and Jerry Orbach? Yeah, I think that was uh, And I think Walter Matthau too, right? Hmm. Or I th- He did so many of them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Walter Matthau, Jerry Orbach, Anita Gillette, and it might have been, what's her name again? It might have been. Vivian Blaine? Might have been, I don't know. But um, I have a beautiful picture of Tom with Anita Gillette. 
Sheila uh, McCray. Heather McCray. Sheila McCray. Oh, she, right, Sheila. Of course, right. Um, <laughs> but so you, 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 Tom loved that show. He did it in London. He loved it. And imagine being in a as big a hit as you're ever going to be in in your life, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to have it soiled, and <sighs> and to to walk through your stage door every day, <laughs> and not to be able to go up to your dressing room, and to have this idiot, this fool behave as he did but happily tom loved to play poker and i remember at cy Fuhrer's memorial one of the musicians who was in i think was in the silk stockings uh, ba- uh orchestra who also mentioned that it was the first integrated orchestra uh-huh. another fabulous see these guys had you know people out there y- you can only be as brave as you can afford to be sometimes because you mm-hmm. have to live That's right true. And so sometimes a hardworking man has to break a a, a, a picket line because he has to feed his children. Right. Uh, It's horrible. But sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to you have to do what you have to do. Mm -hmm. But the minute you get, excuse me, fuck you money. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to say, how can I what can I do to break a barrier? Right. I want to cry when I think about it, because Cy Fuhrer did that. With having the first, it never dawned upon me there wasn't in- integrated orchestras. It me. just never dawned upon yeah, me. Exactly. What the hell? Mm-hmm. And he had the first integrated orchestra, and this charming, elegant uh, black man who spoke at his memorial. I chatted with him later because he said he was also in the orchestra of Guys and Dolls, as I'm remembering this. And he said he remembered Tom loved to play poker, and there are photographs downstairs mm. in the Richard Rogers Theater of of you know those guys in their suits, their uh-huh. Damon Runyon sure, suits playing sure. poker. So I'm sure Tom was happy to be down there, and but it still is such a sad sad and you'd always see like um somebody wrote to me who said that she was curating an exhibit of art for the metropolitan the modern museum the metropolitan of modern art the museum of modern art and they were looking for a painting by this famous african-american painter last the last record they have was that it was purchased by tom petty Mm. Hmm. which must have been so long ago. And he was not an art connoisseur, but uh-huh. he would have plunked down however much money at some event, like a Paul Robeson concert, you know, mm-hmm. and bought something if he thought it was nice and it would help people out. And I, I don't know where that painting is. I don't know what it looks like, but it just was another link to his righteous, wonderful. And there's even some videos, I think, on my website of Tom uh, being interviewed by his, his niece. Um, Did he come see you perform? He saw me in, (laughs) he saw me in some community theater. And then when I did forbidden Broadway, I said, Tom, I'm going to be up in Santa Barbara. And it would be the first time he could see me do something really professional. And I said, I could come get you. And, uh, you know, you could stay, up there with me and I'll bring you back the next night. And he went, I said, it's Wednesday night. He went, oh yeah, well, can I come on Thursday? I said, well, I won't be there on Thursday. He said, oh, because uh, Wednesday's poker night. <laughs> oh, okay. First things first. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know, Tom. I just, there's no other night. There's no yeah. other opportunity. So 
just that there's poke on what you know? and it was so cute uh but he gave up his poker night oh he did and, uh, okay, oh, he gave up right. his poker right. night and he was fit you know tom i took him to see carnival at the forum theater in metuchen years ago mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was maybe the end of the play i can't remember it might have been the end of act one i don't know but he like whacked me on the shoulder on the arm and he, and he went and he pointed to his eyes and they were welled up with tears you know? uh, remember that that's something you remember when you're trying to think about an emotion you know he took his acting so seriously <laughs> and he somebody talked about at his memorial how he had to play a bird watcher in a play called watch the birdie actually and i think it was ruth gordon and garson kane and maybe i can't remember but it was a regional thing and uh um and they were saying how meticulous Tom was about the way he looked through his binoculars and whatever. Uh-huh. And so then Lou Gus, the, the actor from Moonstruck, you know, mm. that's Cosmo's moon. Yeah, yeah. Feisty old character actor. He had said that he didn't want to uh, say anything at the memorial. But he came up to me and he went, I want to say something. I said, OK, go. It was at the triad. And he said, I saw the bird watcher show. I saw him do that. I remember now he was a mate, you know, it was it, it, back when Tom passed in 96, there was still a bunch of people mm-hmm. around like he was in pins and needles. Wow. The first, the first wow. pins and needles. Wow. You, you know, that's how I think it might be how he got his equity card. Cause he was, he was working in a, in a, with the garment factory. Work yeah, he was yeah. working. Wow. And that's how he got his equity card. As I understand it, these things are all lost in the, mm. You know, um, we have some nice footage of him being interviewed, talking about different directors like he hated. <laughs> he hated George Abbott. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I don't like him and I don't care who knows it because <laughs> I like to be left alone and do my work, you know. And um, so uh, when you say you were doing community theater, were you doing this for the hell of it? Did you feel it was a stepping stone that you had ideas of being a pro and this would be a good way to start? What was the motivation? I didn't even know. I didn't even know. Being a performer was like telling somebody, uh, somebody like me, um, well, uh, why don't you be a Nobel Prize winning uh, world renowned mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 brain surgeon? Mm-hmm. Or why don't you go walk on the surface of the moon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, that happened to other people. And the ability to attain the things necessary to do that, to be on television, well, forget it. That's why when I walked into the radio station in college, I would walk in this doorway into a hall that was dedicated exclusively just to radio. And I walked into studios and I saw people making the sounds that went out over the air. And I went, wait, we're allowed to do this? <laughs> and they said yes uh, there was no that was it i was going to college there happily it was w- one of the two colleges i could afford but um no question so i just i loved the theater and as i was attending more and more theater i i thought maybe i could sing i took singing lessons in high school but soprano only soprano from the second laurie in oklahoma mm. named evelyn her name was evelyn wyckoff when she was on broadway ah. and um she was giving me all these, you know, he is pleased with me, my Lord and master. I was like boring, but what did I know? Mm-hmm. I just, you know, she gave me what I, she gave me what she gave me. And I just learned the song and we worked on it. Um, and then I, 
Then I did a Sondheim review that a friend of mine wanted to do in college. It was the only show I did in college because all the other shows um, were performed on nights when we had a family wedding. Can you believe this? <laughs> um, so I, I did, I could sing. I, I, you know, I, I was singing fine. I don't know how, but I just was. And so then when I, so I wanted to do community theater because I was falling in love with all these plays. And uh -huh. one of the alumni was at, at our, one of, one of our alumni was at the radio station visiting. And he said that he worked with the Pleasantville music theater. This was the year I was graduating. And he said, they're going to be doing Mac and Mabel in the fall. And I went, what? You know, I thought, wow. Cause even I knew that was, that was rare. That you didn't, mm -hmm. that that wasn't a show that got done often. Sure, sure. So I went to the audition for Mac and Mabel. And this is after I graduated. And there was a girl there. And we were talking. I said, yeah, I just graduated. I had a degree in communications. And she said, um, oh, yeah, I, uh, I majored in voice. And I said, I'm sorry. And she said, <laughs> voice. And I went, no, you're major. And she said, I majored in voice. I went, I, <laughs> no, I, but how... What is the ma like? What class? Like, what was your major? She went voice. The, <laughs> the concept of majoring in the sound of your own voice was ridiculous to me. I did not know you could do that. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I understood that maybe you could go to um, uh, dramatic conservatories or Juilliard or something like that, but I didn't even know that colleges had like these programs. I didn't know anything about them. Um, and honestly, if I had, I might have pursued them in high school. I might have, but I, none of our career days showed any of that, you know. And so I just thought that was very funny. And uh, I auditioned, and uh, it was between me and another person, and I didn't get it. They never called me back, and I was devastated because I, I just loved singing those songs. And mm -hmm. like, Two weeks passed, and it was the first night of rehearsal, and I'm like, gee, they didn't even cast me in the chorus either. I'm like, mm -hmm. wow, I was really blue. Because mm -hmm. you always get cast in the chorus if you don't get the lead, you know? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and it was like 8.30, and I get a phone call from the Pleasantville Music Theater saying why I wasn't at rehearsal. And it was a nor'easter. It was a nor'easter outside. Wow. And I said, why? He said, well, uh, did nobody call you? I said, no. Well, well, you're in the show. And I went, I, who, who am I? And he said, nobody called you. I said, who am I? He said, well, this is so embarrassing. I said, who am I? And he just wouldn't tell me. He went, well, you're Mabel. Wow. And so I, now it was, this was, you know, a 45 minute ride from my house. So by the wow. time I got there, it was 10 minutes to 10 and they were closing, they were finishing rehearsal. And nobody believed that I didn't get, nobody believed sure. that I didn't get the phone call. Wow. Trust me, I didn't get <laughs> Wow. But I I worked up there in Chappaquah and Pleasantville and beautiful productions. Um, and it was that was my conservatory. That was, I did Funny mm. Girl and Evita and Little Shop and Night Music and My Fair Lady and um, Joseph and Jesus, I can't remember. Well, fast forward to just about a month ago, uh, December 12th, Christine did a fabulous show at Don't Tell Mama uh, on a fortunately tempered day. She was performing on the steps outside, mm -hmm. and uh, there was a small uh, distance audience sitting in a in the street, basically, in, a, in an enclosure that Don't Tell Mama has set up. And it, the show was called Snow Business, and it was the one show that I 
have seen uh, during the pandemic, and it was absolutely great. Uh, it they they filmed it professionally, uh, and it and it was shown later a few weeks later. But I I took some a few just a few little video clips of it that I posted on Facebook. And I have to say of all the things that I've ever posted on Facebook, it got more response than anything I have ever posted. Uh, I'm still, st- people are still finding it for some reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I, uh, and what I posted, I, I picked three uh, little vignettes. I picked stretch of course, uh, uh, and Bernadette and, and Lansbury. And uh, it's just, it was so interesting to me that the, the that the responses were so so much more, uh, so so many more than anything that I've ever posted. Well, I was very lucky, you know, because um, Michael Dangora and Tom Dangora, who were the longtime producers of Musical, mm-hmm. they offered to record it to tape it for me, right? And my my nephew, but my biggest issue was that the sound be good. I mm-hmm. just didn't yeah, want because sure. I wanted it to be up for on demand for purchase, but I didn't yeah. want the sound to be bad for the sure. money that people would have to spend. Sure. So my nephew, God bless, who is a major in sound uh, at North Carolina, he uh, came and he did a his own his own independent uh, sound recording, and and Michael. Dangora synced it up. And so that's why it sounded as nice as it did. He's solely responsible for it looking as nice. No, he's not solely responsible. He is, he is uh, very responsible for it looking as good as it did. But don't tell mamas. Really put out that, you know, they just, man, they stepped up during this nightmare and they put beautiful lighting outside and they 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 just said damn the torpedoes full speed ahead and and it created a beautiful outdoor space and the lighting my friend of mine just watched it last night mm. she and she said she doesn't live in the city she lives up in westchester but she knows she said to me i knew exactly where you were standing i know that street and it was so magical i felt like i was there i felt like mm. i was there and I was so grateful. And as we were walking home from the event on December 12th, Michael and Tom said, the West Bank Cafe is going to have to close. And West Bank. We said, yes, the West Bank Cafe is going to have to close. Mm-hmm. This was December 12th. Mm-hmm. We talked to them yesterday and we can't believe it. So we're going to have a telephone on Christmas Day. And we want it to be like, it's a wonderful life and we don't want it to close. Mm-hmm. And the day after my show, they were full speed ahead, accumulating content for a nine-hour telethon that raised over. Their goal was a quarter of a million. Their goal was two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and they went w- well over three hundred and forty, I think, at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and so those guys are as generous as the day is long, and they 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 put their money where their love and their you know yes. um, their joy is they they support the things that bring them joy and and they they spark joy i have to tell you and now they're involved in doing it for birdland yes mm-hmm. and uh i'm very lucky you mentioned the forum theater in metuchen and uh, i'm familiar with the theater peter lowey vicky Tripoto. they bragged about you quite a bit being there uh was that your next move after the pleasantville uh, it was sort of during, and I remember 
<laughs> is Peter okay? <laughs> haven't heard from him in a long time. <laughs> okay, well, I I played Yvonne in Sunday in the Park with George, so that was like uh-huh. an hour and a half drive from uh, sure from where I was living in Westchester, and I was so poor. How poor was she? Back in those days, the Garden State Parkway had uh, a toll booth yeah. every 10 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was like a 25-cent toll. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, and and you could put three dimes in a nickel, you know, you mm-hmm. could put. So it was, it was a cold winter time. It was very, very cold. And I would drive and throw my, it was a lot of money for me to spend whatever, a dollar fifty each way to, you know to go there when I was making no money. And this was 20 over 20 years ago. So so I would throw the money into the, into the bin kids ask your parents what a (laughs) toll booth is, but um, there would be a little cone shaped metal cone shaped uh, receptacle. Mm -hmm. And I would throw my coins in one time Mm -hmm. I missed and I opened the car door (laughs) and I looked down. Ah. Eureka. The, the floor, the ground is covered in, oh. in lost change. Yeah. So I'm like, shit, I'm picking it all up, you know? This is like a dollar fifty in coins here. And then the next the next toll booth I went to, I was miming like with my hand. I was acting with my hand. I'd throw and then my hand would be like, oh darn. I and I'd go, oh no. And I'd open the door and I'd grope down like I was looking for my quarter and then sweep up as many extra quarters as I could. So, you know, I'd make a profit on the on the ride home and back. Um, because I was that poor. And then it got so hard because we were in tech that I, one of the Rose Padone, who was the lead, she yeah. would have me stay at her house sometimes. And then I got really sick. I had a terrible, terrible, terrible bronchial thing. Try and do It's Hot Up Here. Mm-hmm. When all you really want to do is go, <laughs> it is a nightmare. But um, during tech nights, I slept in the lobby upstairs loge of the theater two nights. Wow. And Peter Lowy was like giving me blankets and pillows. Wow. And I slept on the couch in the upstairs lowest lobby. <laughs> wow. I know that couch. Yeah. <laughs> not wow. as well as I do. Nope. Nope. Not saying I do. <laughs> no. Wow. Wow. Yep. That's something. Mm. Those were the days. Before so, we uh, before we let you go, we should definitely talk about your serious XM show a little bit because I'm I'm sure you have a lot of fans from that. It's been I I must tell you that Boy, uh, since this um, lockdown and everything, I, I've been telling people. I uh, we, you know, I I record the show from my uh, my apartment, and I find that I feel more of an obligation to talk to people about feelings and what we're going through, mm-hmm. and the letters that I have been getting, uh, the responses, um, it means a lot because, uh, first of all, I've been doing this for a long time, so it's very validating. And I'm doing it from a tiny little studio apartment in Hell's Kitchen, and there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. I look out at 8th Avenue, and there's nobody on it. Um, it's there's no reason to go outside except to get provision, literally to get provisions over the summer. It 
you know, we had a respite maybe July, August, September, October. We had like a four month respite and then it, you know, it started to get cold and, mm-hmm. um, and now we're back to just staying inside and the second wave and all that stuff. But just, um, getting that validation has, has meant a lot to me. And, and the channel is incredibly important and special to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. For people like us who grew up loving this and wanting to soak up as much of it as possible, a channel like ours is invaluable. Then there's another subset of listeners who are older and never really dip their toe into this uh, pond and they're s- starting to really discover it. Even my own brother who doesn't isn't particularly drawn to theater. He comes to see me, and he's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. But it's mm-hmm. not like if he sees me in something, he thinks, "Gee, what else is on Broadway?" Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he's just not wired that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he started to listen because he got it in a new car, and he said, to, "And he's a news junkie normally, uh, not a sports guy either." So you know what I'm saying? He really isn't into theater. Mm-hmm. It's not like, it, except for news, it's not like he's got the radio on listening to a game or something. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, the Broadway channel, <laughs> I tell you something, it puts you in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> it elevates you. You know what I mean? It really elevates you. And I just looked at him and I said, who are you? Where did you mm-hmm. come from? Mm-hmm. But I guess because he finally had access to it and he knew I was on all the time he started to listen to me and then stopped listening to me and, and appreciating it. Uh, so that's the, another group of people that are um, just being um, uh, initiated for the first time. About two years ago, I was visiting um, a, a new friend on Long Island and I, I don't have serious, I don't have a car. I don't, you know, so I don't, right. I don't listen, but I got in and ah. radio was on and I was like, I know that person. (laughs) That's Christine. (laughs) Well, it's so funny. You know, some people say that I've heard on more than one occasion, uh, people who sit in their driveway till a song is over Mm, or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, One person said, you know, I said to my mother, mom, mom, were you in the driveway again? That was a different person, too. It was a totally different mm. person. Like, Mother, were you in the driveway again? She's like, yeah, I was. Uh, so it's, it's delightful to hear. And, and, and I think that I think, and you guys can chime in on this, that I started there in 2002, and it was just beginning. Broadway was beginning to expand, and our world was expanding in a good way in that, you know, a person like Audra McDonald normally would be uh, – pretty much isolated and put in her category as a musical theater actress, end of discussion. And the, the crossover and the um, cross migration or whatever you want to call it, the, the, the hybrid actors from Broadway, there are so many more of them, you know, the Rollis Barzes and the Alan Cummings and the Audrey McDonald's and the Christine Baranskis. You didn't see that. You just didn't see that. It, you just didn't. And they, and they weren't going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I'm not talking about Hugh Jackman or, you know, no, uh, I know. Uh, you know, Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe. I'm yeah. talking about the working actors who will hunker down and do a year or six months of eight shows a week. But then they can go off and do what, like, for example, this, um, uh, the, 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 uh, Gilded Age. 
which is uh, I'm so excited about this um, this new show that has everyone you've ever met essentially in mm-hmm. musical the musical theater. Uh, but that was not the case. Uh, it was just starting a little bit when I started, and now happily, it's very it's very different. And I feel like we may have seen it's a true growth. Uh, what do you think? I, I want to know what your opinions are. Well, I think that there was a lot of that way back in the day. And then it and then it did seem to maybe not happen as much for quite a few years. And then there seemed to be a resurgence. Uh, uh, that's my impression. Uh, of course, there I'm sure there were some people throughout who who acted on Broadway and and, and TV as well. But but I, I I do know what you mean. It 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 definitely seemed like there was a a huge uh, growth in that. I also hold the EGOT responsible. Um, that people, huh. want, mm. people want that fourth letter, which I think should be the first letter. I don't know why it's not called Togi, but that's another. <laughs> um, that's because EGOT sounds more like I got. Yeah. I suppose it does. Yeah. yeah, good for you. Yeah, I'm sure. More like, sure. Yeah, the, the me, so, me, me. But I think that's something to do with them. And Michael, when you're talking about way back in the day, sure, because there used to be a lot of TV in New York. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, how old do you think I am? Well, old enough to remember when they used to do the Emmys, they used to say, and the winner in New York is, or the winner in Hollywood is, because uh, they would broadcast oh. from two separate places. Absolutely. Yes, oh, you are old. Yes, oh. very, very. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I oh didn't know that. <laughs> and why the hell don't they do that now, for God's sake? I mean, I it's so much is, easier for them to do it now. I suppose it is, yeah. But they, oh, um, everybody, everybody wants to be in Hollywood that night, so that's man, why. Oh man, when do you guys think? When do you guys think this is all gonna? You know. So so Fauci says uh, Fauci says that we can return to the theaters in the fall right now. That's what he said yesterday. So um, the article in The New York Times. uh, So I'm I'm holding out for that. I mean, we have heard uh, announcements from Hamilton and Wicked and things like that that said that they're going to come back over the summer and even the public theater and outdoor uh, Shakespeare in the Park this summer coming up. Uh, So. Hopefully, we're six to nine months away from all of us getting back into the theater. So here's my question. Here's my, I don't know if it's a suggestion or a wish or a question or I don't know what. But I think that the biggest issue is that the big shows where everybody is up in each other's face and crawling on top of each other like Hamilton or (laughs) kissing each other or sweating on each other or singing and, you know, just spraying mist on each other that's going to be hard by june obviously to um regulate it's going to be hard to have everybody tested on a daily basis it's going to be hard to keep everybody healthy then they go in the wings and you got people crawling around the wings and you know a show like phantom where they have every every square inch is filled with Mm -hmm. stuff how do you keep it clean so the big big shows i I think are it's going to be hard until everything is a full 100 percent bill of health until the country is fully healthy mm-hmm. it's going to be hard but then there are smaller shows like i didn't see six but are there only six women in it i think so. no mm-hmm. is there only six women in six uh, somebody else but uh, not, pretty, your point is well taken it's, it's a pretty small, small. yeah it's a small show. i, I yeah. think the congreg the congregating is probably going to be if they do it at a limited you know uh, capacity yeah. and if the union's comply like i don't know ushers or or 
uh, the Teamsters, of course, and the and box office. However, who you know, if they comply, that they'll do it at a reduced amount of staff as needed. I think that they can. Certain shows can come back. I wouldn't be surprised if they plug in a revival of "I Do, I Do." You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Indeed. if you if you can get the people in the seats spread out, then why then why wouldn't you? If you can just put a show up there, and why not do a series of concerts? Why not have Audra do three weeks? Why not mm-hmm. have Kelly do two weeks? Why not have you know Stokes? My God, you mm-hmm. know, and people would be so hungry. You bet. And I just wish that they could use the theaters and open them up for things that are safe for the people on stage and backstage, which I think they can if they keep it small. And I think that congregating is probably going to be by, I don't know, by June, it might be fine at 25% capacity. I hope so. Um, uh, uh, with masks, everybody will have to have masks. But I wish they could, we're so rigid here. Uh, just so rigid. And this is not the time to be rigid. I I. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I hope that they everybody is willing to reinvent and 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 bend. It's been uh, just an incredible experience for us to see how that it, it has all changed since March the 11th mm-hmm. uh, of, of 2020. Yeah. And uh, and. Christine, you have been able to see it from your apartment on Eighth Avenue, and including uh, right, including peaceful protests too. By the way, yeah, right up Eighth Avenue. That you have yeah. a global reach, though. I mean, do you speak to uh, on your SiriusXM show? Uh, do you speak to uh, folks all over the world who are fans of theater? I don't really f- hear from people from around the around the world. Not really. I f- hear mostly from people around the country, and I take into calling up listeners now. Oh, that's and, nice. That's um, nice. Well, uh, how did? Why did it? Somebody put their number down because they were complaining that I said St. Louis uh. and <laughs> Missouri. Uh. I said St. Louis and Missouri, and I think I said Missouri. I think maybe Marilyn May said Missouri, or I heard somebody say it, and I didn't mean it in a pejorative way. I just yeah, meant yeah. like I was just being like St. Louis, you know. And I was talking about the um, the Lake of the Ozarks and how they were having all those tailgate parties with their boats up against each other, hmm. and yeah. it was really bad. They nobody was wearing masks, and um, uh, and I was talking to Seth about it on the air, and a woman wrote to me and said, "Just so you know, we don't pronounce it St. Louis, St. Louis. We pronounce it St. Louis. Anybody who pronounces it St. Louis is from another time, and and we, you know, we in the flyover states always get a little offended when blah blah blah, and the, the Lake of the Ozarks." And she just started to talk about how. Uh, her, she was very offended by what I said, and I'm like, "Oh boy, okay." Uh, new email, <laughs> brand new email. I start to type, and 20 minutes into it, because I, I had no intention to offend, please forgive me. And it was probably a bad my attempt at being, you know, funny. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I went, "Wait a minute," and I looked, and her phone number was there. And I said, "This is ridiculous." You know, I I can't spend my life trying to tiptoe over what I'm saying when it's going to mm-hmm. come across much more clearly if I say it in mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Phone rings. Hello. Hi, this is Christine Petty. <gasps> oh my goodness, you're the loveliest thing in the world. Oh, I can't believe you called me. <laughs> Listen, I was just in, I was I was just in such a bad mood when I wrote that. Let me tell you. And I said, no, 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 no. And okay, forty five minutes later, the best <laughs> conversation. Her best friend was there, who's also a listener. The best conversation. She was from St. Louis. Called another guy who saw me perform in Wisconsin. 
uh, uh, got off the phone two days ago with a retired, uh, uh, retired cop in Florida talking about Jesus and talking about, um, uh, his, his life as a cop, which was fascinating. That was another hour. Talk to, talk to, uh, Another guy, he was in Sacramento, spoke to somebody in um, the Upper West, a couple on the Upper West Side, a gay couple who sent me these beautiful masks that they made. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's, you know, in all fairness, did you ever watch Soap Dish? Oh, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. It's like the scene when Whoopi Goldberg says to Sally Field, I think we got to do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> they got to do the thing, and Sally Field goes to the mall to get some love. Well, I tell you, it's been five or six long conversations, and I never get anything but the loveliest people. And um, it's it's uh, they're just lovely. They're just the loveliest people who love this music. And I don't, you know, I don't hide my um, feelings. My, you know, like this. Uh, Baptist uh, cop who was Jesus is the answer and the way and whatever you know what I mean. Um, I said I I I've totally um, respected and I I, I am I am uh, always appreciative of anybody who takes time to to work on their spirituality and to find the higher the higher. Uh, road and that's the road that works for him but i also told him that one of the greatest people i know is a devout atheist who has pledged her life her life on earth to being of service to people and she doesn't care what happens to her when she dies because it's all about being kind to people now on the planet earth you know and that that's all i care about and so i said i have to respect her too so the point is i you know i don't just sit there and yes everybody to death and um i, I I paint a picture of who I am as well. And they're the loveliest people. Always and always, always, always. They they meet me after shows. They're absolutely lovely. Well, that's a perfect way to end. Christine, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. We really appreciate it. We have a link to all of uh, Christine's comings and goings in our show notes at broadwayradio.com. The only uh, thing I'm doing that I know for sure is I'm doing Provincetown on September 11th at the Art House. And I'll be there by hook or by crook. Well, the XM people want to see you Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., don't they? <laughs> well, that, well, yeah, but I mean a live performance. Sure. Yeah, you sure. Know, that, but you, for, for the whole year the, to know that that's the one solid date that I have, it's, uh, it's And then if, uh, if you uh, are able to also uh, check in with uh, Christine and Seth, the Dueling Divas, on uh, XM Radio as well. Uh, so we are able to he- continue to hear you and supporting the Broadway community throughout uh, 2021 and beyond. So, Christine, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. Thank you guys so much. I hope I see you in the neighborhood. Don't look like Betty Grable, yet I rate hoorays. I'm tougher than Clark Gable, yet... I get such praise What do I possess? Just guess I'm here, I'm yours Broad Broadway adores Cause I can sing My voice, they say Would blow a wall away Yes, I can 
all cheer me in shows I thought drab. And deaf people hear me when I hail a cab. I'm proud, I'm loud when I excite a crowd, cause I can sing. Well, that was uh, a <laughs> conversation with Christine, who really, uh, I, I, I didn't expect it. I, I really expected it to be a lot of... Uh, <laughs> impersonations and joke telling and things like that. It was a really wonderful, deep conversation. I agree. Well, I didn't, I, I, I knew that she was related to Tom Petty, but we had never really discussed him at length. And I found that all mm, that really mm, fascinating. Mm. Oh, and the stories about the Jersey uh, Turnpike, not, not the Garden State Turnpike, <laughs> the Jersey Turnpike and Garden State Turnpike are different things. Garden State Parkway. Garden State Parkway. <laughs> Garden State Parkway stops sending me emails. <laughs> I didn't steal the change at the toll booth. I did. I did. I didn't. I did. I didn't. <laughs> and there are only six cast members of six. The six women. There are with, okay. and uh, and uh, orchestra on stage as per Tony Janicki in the Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Wow. So thank you, Tony, for that information. So. Before we wrap up for today and get on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. iHeartRadio places, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes as well as broadwayradio.com, as well as uh, links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia question? This performance final Broadway appearance was in a musical that has a one-word title. It was, however, the same word that began the title of a famous Broadway musical that this performance starred in the film version. Who is the performer and what is the, are the musicals? I'm talking about my least favorite performer of all time, Betty Hutton. People <laughs> talk about people being over the top. She was so over the top that she's gazing down from the Jungfrau. Anyway, many of us complain that when any... Well, um, so in September of 1980, three and a half years after Annie opened, uh, Hutton took over as Miss Hannigan. Uh, three decades earlier, however, she took over for Julie Garland in the film version of Annie Get Your Gun. Uh, Tony Janicki was the first to get it, followed by Juliette Green, Paul Witte, Josh Israel, Richard Carey, Robert Lobiondo, Brigadoon, and Nikki Juvan. So this week's question, you know, the thing about these questions, Tony Janicki tells me that if he has trouble with a question, that um, he meets his boyfriend on Sunday nights for dinner, and he says, God, you know, I've been, I've been going crazy. I, I thought it might be this, and it wasn't, and I thought it might be... Um, uh, I feel bad for the boyfriend tonight, because I think this one is uh, really crazy. <laughs> so anyway, my apologies to the beau. Um, someone who's been represented on Broadway most of the years of the last half of the 20th century, most of the years of the last half of the 20th century, had a father whose first name appears in the title of a play. The show won a Tony for its leading man, but that actor who won wasn't in the play. Leah, you heard that right, but I'll say it again. The show won a Tony for its leading man, but that actor who won wasn't in the play. Give the name of the famous person, the father's name, and explain how a leading man could win a Tony for starring in a show without being in the play. 
Gosh. Well, uh, Tony, I'm going to see you at dinner tonight, and we'll <laughs> all, everybody should get together and uh, we'll figure this out. <laughs> so if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of the hearts echoes the beating of the drums, it is a life of love.